This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Climate change is a major challenge for cities worldwide. So what are we doing to adapt in Otautahi Christchurch? Dr. Tom Logan from the University of Canterbury spoke recently at the Canterbury Workers Education Association on understanding the risks of the changing climate for our communities. Uh, welcome, uh, my name is Dr. Tom Logan. I'm a lecturer at the University of Canterbury in Civil and Environmental Engineering. And my uh, specialty and field is in climate change. Uh, my, my research is at the intersection of risk analysis or risk science and urban planning. I grew up in Napier, um, but moved to Christchurch to study my degree. Um, incidentally, the first year of the uh, Canterbury earthquakes. Um, so I was the cohort that was taught in tents and marquees on the on the lawn. Um, I then uh, moved to the US with a Fulbright scholarship and did my PhD in, um, at the University of Michigan. And, uh, uh, and like I said, between in the intersection of um, risk science and urban planning. Uh, and worked a little bit in Silicon Valley before coming back to uh, to Christchurch. Um, so n- to my new role as a, a lecturer in civil engineering. And uh, that was good luck rather than good management. I made, made it in just before the borders closed about three years ago. And uh, I've been obviously here ever since. Uh, so... Basically, um, today's talk is relatively wide-ranging, and I encourage you to um, interrupt me uh, if you have questions. Um, I uh, can. I have a, a lot of. Uh, well, there's so much to talk about, um, but we'll, I guess, go down where you guys are interested. Um, my main area of expertise is in climate adaptation, uh, and I'll explain what that is. But I guess um, very high-level. Climate, uh, climate change is sort of generally broken down into climate science, climate mitigation, and climate adaptation. Um, so understanding the physical processes behind what's going on uh, is climate science. Climate mitigation is how can we, uh, what can we do that reduces how much the climate is changing? And climate adaptation is how do we live with the change that, that we've locked in? And so that's why my uh, background is in, in risk. So um, this is the, um, the results of the latest, the sixth um, assessment report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or the IPCC. Uh, and this was published uh, recently. And basically what it shows is that um, these are five different uh, shared socioeconomic pathways. So the S. SP1 is saying if we take the, what they call the green road, if we do lots of things to, uh, to mitigate climate change, if we take lots of action to um, lower our emissions, we can uh, essentially do our best to keep emission, uh, to keep global uh, warming or temperature increase below two degrees. Uh, so we have, have two shared socio-economic pathways that would allow us to do that. Um, then we have uh, the middle of the road, uh, which is a warming of about 3 degrees by 2100, and uh, two shared socio-economic pathways, which are essentially our business as usual. Um, and so essentially you can think of them as different scenarios of what might happen based on decisions that governments make um, and they start to include uh, the, the name shared socioeconomic pathway is used because they start to include um, things like uh, nationalism and uh, I guess various willingnesses from governments and people to actually make a change. So I, at the moment, thanks to uh, Putin, we're definitely not uh, tracking where we'd like to be. Um, but all of these things are connected um, what that means for us uh, is that these, this is now showing time uh, with the different scenarios and mean uh, global sea level rise. Uh, and so essentially with all of these um, 
pathways, we're going to see at least half a meter of sea level rise by 2100. Um, the worst case uh, scenario is, or the uh, worst case scenario is showing about one meter. But because of the wide uncertainty and the fact that we really don't understand the complexities around um, a lot of the, essentially the uh, glacier, how the glaciers and the ice sheets are interacting uh, with the changing temperature, we can't rule out that sea level rise could be as high as two metres uh, by the end of the century. So basically, uh, we have to start planning for that. And, but not only by the end of the century, this is happening down the road from where I grew up already. Um, this is in Hamoana and Tiawonga in Napier or in the Hawke's Bay but it's something that we're seeing uh, around in the west coast we're seeing it in parts of Wellington and we could see it uh, in parts of um, Christchurch uh, and of course South Dunedin so Christchurch and South Dunedin are of all of the cities in New Zealand the most we have the highest number of houses exposed to uh, sea level rise and coastal flooding and Christchurch takes the title of being, uh, having built the most number of houses most recently in these exposed places, um, and continue to do so. Uh, so the, essentially the risk increases with the temperature, and that's one of the key things that we need to uh, think about. Um, one of the things that I uh, talk to my students, uh, because obviously this is a, an issue that a lot of young people start to feel depressed about and start to feel a bit helpless about. But one of the key things to remember is that, uh, yes, it's bad, but it will get worse if we don't mitigate and if we don't, uh, if we don't take action that um, will, to uh, the best of our ability, reduce uh, the rise. So like I said... We divide climate change between mitigation and adaptation. So mitigation is where we reduce the amount of uh, emissions um, or greenhouse gas emissions, so carbon, methane, and, and others, as much as possible. Um, but we also have to adapt. Um, and there's a saying that says we have to uh, avoid the unmanageable, which is mitigate and manage the unavoidable, which is adapt. Uh, and a lot of the change, we've essentially locked in a lot of change already. Uh, so there's no going back. And that's what we have to, uh, have to do, is design our society in a way that can manage that. Um, but one of the biggest challenges is that there's so much uncertainty. Uh, we don't know what the poles are going to do. We don't know whether there is some other uh, feedback loops, for example, cloud cover and reflectivity. We don't know what uh, the Americans are going to do when they go to the polls in a couple of years and vote Trump back in, for goodness sake. Um, but there's also uh, crazy things happening. Just uh, last week we saw... Um, 40 degrees Celsius uh, higher at both poles. Um, and these are things that scientists have basically said we didn't think that was even possible. And that's when that uh, extremely high sea level rise pathway starts to look all the more likely. Um, and this is a, there are many, many um, really cool visualizations of temperature increase. Um, but this is one that I really like because what really matters isn't just the average temperature, um, but it's the extremes. Uh, like, and that's when we see things like the uh, heat waves that we saw in uh, Toronto, uh, not Toronto, Vancouver and uh, Western uh, United States. Uh, and that's what uh, sort of brings about hurricanes uh, or cyclones obviously in New Zealand um, heat waves and other and droughts and things like that so basically we have to uh, deal with this large amount of uncertainty and it's akin as someone else has described it as poking an angry beast with a stick we don't know what's going to happen but it's probably not going to be good um, 
So how do we manage that effectively? If our society is Pokemon based, what can we do for our society that will protect it as best as possible? Um, and so essentially to do that, we need to um, prepare our cities and communities. And that involves developing infrastructure um, that is resilient, uh, but also thinking about our social and economic systems uh, and our responses and our governance structures to make sure that uh, they're less vulnerable or more robust to these shocks in the future. And so it really doesn't, uh, and one of the, I think, one of the big challenges with how we've uh, set up our, the way that we govern um, is that we silo everything. But we, I think, are all well aware that society doesn't work in nice boxes. And uh, even the... Um, recent discussion about supermarkets uh, from the Commerce Commission mm. is an example which that decision has major impacts on our ability to design sustainable cities. If you can't walk to a supermarket, you have to drive. Uh, and if we might put all of our supermarkets into strip malls and that are 20 minutes away, uh, it's not helping. So... <laughs> You could hit bus stops. You could. You definitely could. Yes. Yeah. So, but we have to figure out how we're going to um, design our city in a way that enables either walking, cycling, or public transport. Um, so, to respond to climate change uh, in terms of adaptation, New Zealand has recently legislated that every five years, uh, the national government and the local governments or councils uh, complete a risk assessment, uh, and then two years after that, they need to complete an adaptation plan, which they monitor and update every two years. it's also really tied in with the uh, other work that's being done on the Strategic Planning Act, which is starting to think about how do we join everything together with our spatial um, planning, but also the Climate Change Adaptation Act, which is going to give uh, local councils the power to say, you can't build here. Uh, and how do we deal with the people that are already there? Because uh, there are major potential equity issues um, for the people that that bought without knowing. Um, so what I was going to do and have realised that uh, it's not going to work is was play a game, but that required everyone to have a computer, which is not, not the case. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, cause I've, I, um, I didn't think about it because Ian, uh, when Ian got in contact, uh, he asked... Um, about these online games that we had, <laughs> I didn't sort of connect the dots. But we can play it. Uh, we can play it as a group. So, um, so this is a game that was developed by Niwa. Um, it's a serious game, and it's called the Climate Change Adaptation Challenge. Uh, and essentially, what I I wanted to start with this because it's a great way f- to put um, put ourselves into that position of the uh, community decision makers trying to figure out what do we do. Uh, in this game, just as we are now, uh, communities are beginning to feel the impacts of climate change. Uh, this, these impacts are increasing over time. There are, there are a range of different uh, interventions or adaptation options. There's limited community knowledge. Uh, there's a budget and, naturally, strong values and vested interests. Uh, and so, as you'll see in the game the uh, stakeholders that we have to engage with can get very angry and vote you out, basically. Uh, and so um, it asks, what we have to think about is do we protect or do we adapt? Uh, do we stake our claim in the ground and say, no, we're going to uh, protect what we've got or are we going to start to retreat or are we going to explore different options? Um, so essentially, we are a... Uh, decision maker for a small coastal community. Uh, sea level rise is causing inundation and erosion. Uh, the rate of that change is unknown. The, we have to uh, work with the communities uh, who are essentially stakeholders or community representatives and we make decisions uh, every 10 years. 
and if we win, we manage to get to the end of 100 years. Um, and every decision has consequences, uh, economic, physical, and social. So this is our community. We have our, our coast, we have our luxury townhouses, our town centre, uh, and our affordable homes uh, at the back. One of my critiques about the game is that it puts the affordable homes at the back. And what climate change is going to do with insurance uh, retreat is going to make the houses at the front very exposed. Uh, they won't have insurance and therefore very affordable and we'll end up with vulnerable people living in vulnerable places uh, who can't afford to move out or can't afford to adapt. Um, and that, I think, in, uh, in Christchurch we have a really interesting mm. contrast between, uh, I guess, uh, the areas around Sumner versus the areas around New Brighton. Um, and they're essentially those, those two uh, two cases um, so all of uh, our characters uh, have have various views um, and we have a suite of adaptation options um, which is we can re-nourish the beach so put more sand in we can build uh, two different heights of seawalls we can relocate or we can do nothing um, and each adaptation option has a lifespan and we'll see that it deteriorates. Um, so um, we have start with some money, we generate income through rates uh, and so this is our, this is our game. Um, we are a member of a committee charged with making a decision uh, about our town called Seaview. Uh, we're threatened by flooding and erosion we have to honour and respect the values of our community uh, while making changes to ensure that uh, we remain prosperous. Um, the objective is to protect the community um, and uh, we start in 2020 uh, and essentially our approval rating is our, is our score. Um, so once our rating gets too low, we'll get kicked out. Um, <laughs> So, um, here we are in 2019. Uh, these are our community stakeholders. Um, Kim is a, the owner of the fish and chip shop. Um, and, uh, and so we can, uh, we can get some more information about, uh, about her. Um, Fern is a young activist. Um, the beach is being eroded away with every storm. I think we need to do some renourishment to keep the air in good shape uh, in, the, in the short term. Uh, so I guess we're seeing that everyone has... Um, these are the different values and the, the different understanding about how things will, will change. So we're here, the resource management officer. Uh, he's concerned about people and, and uh, mana whenua. Um, and believes that large-scale engineering solutions will be quite difficult to get uh, buy-in. We have a tourist um, whose belief is that uh, nature will do its thing and we probably don't need to do anything about it. We have a ratepayer um, uh, with the... The normal, uh, normal attitude. Um, so we don't need to go crazy with expensive consultations. Weather comes and goes. Uh, everything will be fine. And a developer. Um, the town has been here a long time. It's not going to chase people away. So every 10 years we're going to make a, a decision. And so these are decisions that we can make, if any. Uh, and at the moment we only have enough money to do beach renourishment or install a seawall. Uh, and as you can see, we've got uh, $120,000 um, and our approval rating is uh, a solid high of 33 to start with. Uh, and of course, we can also uh, consult. So I guess we'll... Uh, do this as we would in any council and vote on each of our <laughs> options. <laughs> uh, 
I'll, um, I guess I can provide a little bit more information about each of our options. Um, beach renourishment is simply uh, putting, beach, putting sand back into the beach. Um, uh, it's perceived as a natural solution, um, but we also have issues because uh, the sand has to be sourced from elsewhere um, and it's not a permanent solution, clearly. Um, alternatively, we can um, build a seawall. Uh, the seawall protects against erosion and um, storms up to a certain magnitude uh, or severity. Um, it'll run the length of the beach, so essentially we'll lose all of our sand. Um, it, uh, so it will protect the, the properties, but it'll change the, uh, the appearance of the beach. It won't, we won't have any tides essentially. Uh, it will have major ecological impacts. Um, and uh, although they're a relatively permanent solution, they have a, um, uh, their design life is, is limited because if, as the sea level rises, it won't be suitable. Um, or we can consult with the public. Um, and essentially this is to uh, educate the community, uh, get more buy-in for some of our, uh, our options, um, and help us to get... It, it helps us to get buy-in, but it's, it, it's always still difficult to get consensus on, on issues. The other thing that I'm going to say about the game is that uh, there's a lot of randomness uh, embedded. So you can play the game and do the same thing yeah. and get totally different options, uh, totally different outcomes because of the uncertainty around um, not just uh, the rate of change with sea level rise, but also the... Uh, mm -hmm random nature of communities and how they will respond to uh, you doing A or B. Um, so for all I know, we'll make a decision and they'll kick us out immediately, <laughs> as they've been known to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, so do you think we should just, uh, just do beach um, well, I would, um, if it was me, and if I, I, I come from a Dutch background, so... Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, know, I know what you're going to say. I, yep. I think that um, dikes are amazing. Yep. And they, they're attractive, they have the functionality, and they, they work. Yep. Mm -hmm. And they don't destroy the, the look of the landscape. You can, you can make them look as if they're part of the environment mm -hmm. without having this obstruction, but they do the job. Cool. So okay, so we've got uh, sea wall, but not that one. <laughs> a more attractive sea wall. A better one. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. I think New Zealand needs to figure out how to do it better. But uh, okay, so uh, are you advocating for the the short sea wall? Yeah, I would. Okay. Sea wall so we have uh, we have <laughs> excellent. Okay, well that means we have uh, one. We have two options at the moment, uh, the beach renourishment and the consultation, or the, uh, the seawall. So we're going to vote, I think. Uh, so <laughs> those in favour of both the renourishment and the consultation, raise your hand. I think we have four people. Uh, and the seawall, we've got six, seven people. Excellent. Okay, so that's what. So let's see. Uh, see what happens. So. Oh, I can. Um, if I click on it again, it'll tell us. Um, but we'll just uh, run through this. So, our, like I said, our decision-making period is is ten years. Uh, we had two normal years, and then we had severe storms in 2021, 22, 24, and 28. Uh, and now we get to see how this has affected our waterfront. So we had four years of severe weather. Um, we've lost our beach because of the uh, erosion in front of the seawall, um, so we've lost the sand in front of it. The park has been affected by waves going over the seawall. The road has been affected, but everything else is okay. We have $110,000 and two angry community members 
the first saying, why is no one taking the beach erosion problem seriously? We need to add sand to keep it beautiful. Um, and we have uh, Wehi who's saying, we did not consult uh, Iwi. Um, so, well, they haven't mobilized to get rid of us yet. Um, and uh, sea level has risen by, uh, by 0 0.08 metres um, over, what, 8 centimetres over the last 10 years. Right, so now we get to make more decisions. Uh, unfortunately, we cannot do beach nourishment anymore because um, it's gone. We've installed the seawall already uh, and we don't have enough money to do anything else. So we can either consult with the public or do nothing. Um, so, uh, so this is just um, this is just giving us details on what consultation looks like and what the benefits are and what the um, the limitations are. I guess there's so many different things uh, that that need to also be basically, as you're saying, joined up. We need to connect the dots between uh, the impacts that we're starting to see and. Uh, actions and and conversations around uh, I think the housing crisis when when people are complaining that our inner city is dead um, well if we contrast that to a European city where there are people living right in the in the, the actual center not just the fringes uh, enabling walkability public transport cycling um, New Zealand obviously is uh, one of the largest uh, owners of vehicles per capita, well, I think we're one of the, um, we eat more meat than most other countries, uh, and I think we're going to start seeing a lot of these impacts, and, it's, and we have to start drawing the, the link. Um, Can you say something about air travel? Because planes can't run on electric batteries. Well, um, Paul, um, Paul Callaghan uh, talked about this um, when he uh, about 10 years ago um, and one of the things that he advocated for was making uh, a knowledge economy, making New Zealand a place where talent wants to live so that we can uh, start to export ideas uh, and so rather than rely on um, rather than having our economy reliant solely on tourism or um, uh, sort of first order produce um, we emphasize other things um, and he had several advantages uh, several examples of small companies that came up with clever little designs and then exported it to the rest of the world and, and made us a lot of money for a small uh, and that I think was his argument is that if we look after New Zealand's environment have rivers where we can swim in have cities that are livable like imagine if you could go for a run or take your kids for a swim in the, the river next to Margaret Mayhew. Those kind of things have both sustainability benefits but also are attractive to um, have those wider benefits. Um, also, again, tying this back to the impacts of climate change, uh, when we had really high heat over summer, we saw a lot of people wanting to swim. Um, currently our river uh, and Christchurch will be affected with heat waves in the near future. But currently they describe swimming in our river as being uh, Russian roulette uh, because of the um, contaminants. And so these are things that uh, we're not, still not doing a good job of. Uh, and so, um, yeah, one of, the, one of my favorite authors on, who talks about climate change is that we need to think about adaptation more broadly than just responding to um, climate like the direct climate impacts, but designing a society that's, uh, that's safe and inclusive in a manner that can, which means it can therefore respond to those shocks. Um, we're, we're seeing changes, we're seeing an increase in severe weather, we're seeing uh, the, um, in Littleton alone, we've seen 15 centimetres of sea level rise in the last 15 years. Um, we have to, have to adapt. Um, why don't we just do nothing this time? Cool, okay, great. Because that won't cost us any money, will it? That's right, yes. Um, do we, uh, yeah, is there, con is there any objection to uh, doing nothing? 
<laughs> stronger. <laughs> yeah, 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 stronger. And during that time, we could instead spend our money on um, investigating houses, such as my Dutch friend had said. Mm. Um, if we could invent Options. houses that can survive on water. Yep. Um, the uh, this is this is probably a, a Chatham House comment on, from me, but I was amused when uh, we when the council was talking about different options, uh, such as waterproof houses and floating houses. And when I bike to work and at the university, I'm well aware they can't even uh, design waterproof cycleways without uh, me as a uh, cyclist getting totally soaked with the, even just a light drizzle or a small puddle. Um, which is, uh, but we definitely need to start importing the ideas that we've seen from around the world. Uh, there's, there are solutions that, that people have uh, done, even just urban planning and city design. We should probably stop looking at the Americans as the uh, shining light. Um, by, doing, um, by doing nothing, we've... Uh, our approval rating has increased. Um, the, uh, and essentially this is all down to the fact that we only had three years of severe weather. Um, and Fern is still angry um, because no one is addressing the, the beach problem, and, but the beach is gone. Um, and we've got more money in the budget. And we've got more money in the budget. So yeah, now we've had the option of a high seawall or we can consult. Um, Okay, any uh, objections to a higher seawall? Um, so the high seawall, it doesn't actually tell me exactly how high it is, but um, I think it's, it's a, yeah, as an example. Yeah, it says X, we have a variable. <laughs> so, um, did anyone want to consult? So I think, again, like the, um, yes, this is a game, I think, uh, and these aren't necessarily decisions we'd make, but this is a really great, uh, and the reason I like the, the game is not because it's particularly real uh, and not because we take it as seriously as we would uh, in practice, but because it allows us to, when, especially when we play it lots of times, we get to experience what's called um, decision-making under deep uncertainty. And deep uncertainty is a term when uh, people can't agree on the direction of change. Scientists disagree on what might happen. Um, so it's not as simple as a probability distribution. It's, we don't know. And how do you make decisions when we don't know? Um, and so this is uh, a way of starting to understand what that, that means. Um, why don't we just do nothing again because our approval rating last time we got any money. Okay. We want to start the government. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, can I have a vote on uh, the seawall? Okay, I think we've got, a, we've got the seawall. Um, we're, we're looking at it from one perspective. Yeah. There's a lot of nationalities on this planet, yeah. and the planet is yep. more important than the people. Yep. And, um, yeah, and that's one of the things uh, that's really important, I think, for... One of the things that I try and teach the engineers... Uh, in my class on climate change, is how do we think about... Uh, because so many of them are... Um, uh, the, there is a majority race and a majority gender. Uh, how do we start thinking... And, of course, we're all very quantitative, single-minded engineers. How do we start thinking about things from different perspectives? How do we design a community that is also uh, suitable for children or women or elderly people or people living with disabilities or different races or cultures uh, because we've, a lot of the society has been designed with middle class, upper middle class white men who can do things, uh, who are physically able to do things. Um, so thinking about the wider implications, for example, just having more chairs, I guess, or, or benches around a park or putting in a chessboard or putting in multilingual signs just, act, just a, from that kind of perspective. Um, and I think that's where uh, engineers need to... Um, engineers, I think, used... or Engineers used to be more involved in public decision-making. Every city used to have the city engineer who uh, 
was responsible for tying all the bits together. And we've lost that, um, partially because engineering has become more specialised. We now have a geotechnical engineer, a transport engineer, and I think that speciali uh, specialisation has lost the generalists that used to be able to tie everything together. Um, but uh, let's see what happens. This is with a high seawall. Um, we're doing... Oh, we just got booted out. Oh, no. <laughs> so we've been uh, in a referendum. Uh, we've been kicked out with an approval rating of 11. Um, no, we can't. So, but uh, I think the, um, essentially when, when I teach, when, when we use this in class, we, the students play it multiple times to, uh, and, and often the, uh, the answer is there's no right answer. Um, and, and that I think is part of the, I think that frustrates a lot of them because they're so used to being able to plug in the right number into the right equation uh, but that doesn't work um, so yeah I guess what this is um, what the, the point of the game was to start to encourage thinking about a, a, um, transitioning from a reactive to a proactive uh, process and when we talk about climate adaptation uh, this is the guidelines that the Ministry for the Environment has given us um, and Essentially, this is what the Christchurch City Council is following at the moment, and I am, am leading uh, part of the work, or co-leading part of the work, with the uh, Coastal Hazards Adaptation Team there. So um, I lead the Risk and Vulnerability Assessment, uh, and essentially it's a really cool, from my perspective, a really cool partnership between the Council and research, well, because research... This is still a really, really open question, and so we're able to start finding uh, answers that we can share around the world. Um, but what it tells us to do is understand what's happening, so what are the assessments, what's the science saying, what do we care about, what are the assets, so doing our consultation, understanding what the risk is, identifying options and pathways, uh, so adaptation interventions, uh, figuring out a plan and doing it and then monitoring it and reviewing it and then repeating. Um, so this is an example of an adapt adaptive uh, management process. Um, so, but I guess as we say, it's preferably a proactive <laughs> process um, rather than a reactive one. Uh, so but what I've said to council is how do we plan for this without understanding what's going to be exposed and what's going to be affected. One of our big challenges is that we are so used to things being um, uh, deterministic or not random or not uncertain. All of our planning in the past has been a predict. We'll try and predict what the future is uh, and we'll plan for that even our predictions of um, population growth, even though they're usually wildly wrong, we make a prediction, we build for it. Uh, so, but hazards don't work like that, and how do we make decisions without understanding it? Uh, and our understanding of risk is, is not... Uh, widely, our understanding of risk is poor. Um, how do we manage our assets without understanding what conditions they might experience? So that goes to all of our asset management processes, our renewal processes, and how do we test and evaluate different options? And so the Carbon uh, Zero Carbon Act or the Carbon Climate Change Amendment Act basically says that understanding our risks and what is being uh, done to address them will help us to adapt appropriately. So this is where, uh, this is primarily where my work uh, comes in and, and in order to uh, inform the rest of the process. But critically, we have to do this iteratively. As things change, as the information changes, as the climate changes, as people move and as we build new assets uh, or upgrade assets, we need to be uh, rethinking. So we talk about risk... Um, and as I said, there's, it's a big challenge 
because we just don't really know. Uh, our decision makers don't really know how to manage it. Our communities struggle to understand it. Uh, and it's one of those things that's really hard to communicate. Um, the other challenge is that there are lots of different ways to measure it. Um, and if you talk to an economist, they'll tell you something quite different to what I will say. Um, although I would argue that my definition is the more general of the two. Um, in the climate change literature in, in New Zealand alone, we see several different definitions that don't actually match. Uh, the um, ECAN recently completed its climate change risk assessment and they said that exposure times sensitivity times adaptive capacity equals risk. I don't know how you measure these two things, this kind of, and somehow you put this into some magic formula and you get risk. Uh, the result is that the decision makers and the people in council get these reports, they don't know what to do with them. Uh, and that's the feedback that we're hearing um, from different councils. Um, so the way that I describe risk, uh, and the International Society of Risk Analysis describes risk, is that risk is the consequences and associated uncertainties. And so what I want you to think about is if we're floating down a river in a boat, we don't know where we're going to end up. We're paddling along, we don't know where we're going to end up. And at, at time any time in the future, we could be somewhere in here. And so there are lots of different plausible futures. And this, I kind of want you to think about it in terms of how we... are going upstream. Well, if we're in the... So uh, we're downstream, but all end up in the same place. Yeah, I know, that's the problem. But, but imagine this is like a delta, uh, a delta system um, when you're floating down river. Uh, or, alternatively... This is our island in the South Pacific, and we've jumped in a boat, and these are the currents taking us places. Um, either way, this is just my conceptual idea. So we're floating through time, and we're going to end up somewhere. And some of those places are going to be bad, and some of those places are going to be really good. So one of the key things that we think about when we talk about risk is how much time, at what time are we thinking about the risk? Because if we think about it in 10 years, we're probably fine. If we do nothing uh, in 100 years, well, we could be fine or we could be in a really bad place. And what we need to do is take as many interventions as possible to make sure that this paddler knows both how to paddle and which way to go so that he can or she can basically choose the right path and has the strength to get there. Uh, and the boat that's carrying him or her is suitable. So this is what, there's all of this uncertainty and there are all of these consequences. And we can think about that as risk as being uh, the activity. We have uncertain events that occur, whether they're storms or, uh, or other and then we have consequences that, of course, are also uncertain. And we observe risk over some period of time, and that's really important that we say when we talk about risk, whether we're thinking about 10 years or 100 years, because that totally changes our, uh, how, what, we're, what we're thinking. But enough of that sort of theory. It means that when we evaluate risk, we have to think about what the consequences are, what the likelihood of the event is, what their uncertainty is around this, and what the timeline is. And so I'm going to uh, talk a bit now about what my uh, team is doing in Christchurch. Um, and the objectives of our work here is to give the, the City Council a tool that allows us to spatially explore the risk, uh, understand the criticality, so that means that if your road is flooded, for example, think about the Diamond Harbour, if the uh, road out to Teddington or past the Teddington wetland is, is flooded, it means that everyone in Diamond Harbour is cut off. It means everyone in Kokorato is cut off. And that's more important than if uh, a road in a, um, with lots of other alternatives. So criticality is really important. 
and come up with a way that gives us this iterative process that we can enable decisions that are based on, on risk. So the process that the council has gone through is they've uh, commissioned work from an engineering consulting firm that does a, a hazards analysis, so they've modelled um, different coastal flooding under different sea level rises. Uh, we've identified um, different asset services uh, that we and um, parks and things like that that we want to assess the risk to. And now what we're doing is uh, calculating the exposure, the vulnerability, uh, and the uncertainty. So the work that the City Council is focused at the moment on is just coastal inundation, coastal erosion, and coastal uh, and groundwater inundation. We look at it uh, in the domains of the built environment, so what is the effect on things that we've built, uh, the natural environment, so parks and uh, ecological sites of significance, but also thinking about uh, humans and then cultural uh, impacts. Um, the, uh, essentially, this is what the, we're developing this, um, this, basically a website that will let them explore these with maps um, and uh, then we can basically let them uh, look at different hazard things, for example, erosion under different sea level rise uh, instances. This will be made public in a few months once it's finished and signed off and council says, yes, we're allowed to release it. Um, but it will be used as part of the community engagement. Um, and so it's essentially thinking about what the vulnerability is. So that, that is to say how important or how much, how bad is it if an asset gets... Uh, hit by some level of um, coastal flooding. Uh, and things about criticality, which is how bad is it if this particular asset fails? What are the cascading impacts? For example, if we lose the Bromley wastewater treatment plant, it's not just a building, it's actually our entire wastewater network is, is stuffed. Um, and it lets us understand this for all of our different assets. So these graphs will show how many assets are exposed to flooding of greater than three metres or one metre um, in any given storm event. So you can see this as an example. This is the, uh, over in Diamond Harbour. Um, we, we can look at a cemetery as an example and see how much uh, it's exposed to, uh, how much flooding it's exposed to given the sea level rise scenario. Um, so what are we expecting in Christchurch? Well, this is us. And this is today with um, no sea level rise. Uh, with 0.7 metres of sea level rise, we don't see too much... Uh, well, I'll caveat all of this shortly after I jump through these slides. Um, I uh, wrote a piece in The Listener um, a few months ago and said, why are we building 70 new homes in New Brighton? And the developer said, because we always have and it's fine and people will buy it and it's protected from the ocean. And uh, yes, it is protected from the ocean, but it's not protected from the river. And that's what will get it. Um, and as we can see, as we tick through these, we're going to get some quite bad flooding. Uh, and this is, this is actually quite a lot of, uh, of height. Th what these maps are showing is just sea level rise. So this is nine metres. This is like extreme, extreme, extreme. But that's nine metres of this is where the sea level is. But sea level rise isn't just rising tide. Sea level rise is increasing how bad coastal flooding is. So it increases storms, it increases coastal erosion, it increases tsunamis, and it increases groundwater. So when we look at, this is a map here. This is, um, Bromley's okay. This is a um, map showing two metres of sea level rise, which is what we could be looking at by 2100, plus a 1% uh, coastal flood. So that's a... Uh, an event that 
there's a 1% chance of it occurring. Um, I don't entirely... The, the consultant that made this map may put this arbitrary line in and said we'll assess it on this side and not this side. So don't ignore that. Uh, this doesn't mean that this is safe. It probably just means that their house is somewhere in here. Um, but, uh, yeah, but what you can see really clearly is that uh, we have some areas in the city that are in a lot of trouble and that will lose insurance um, and we're going to either have to invest an incredible amount of money in uh, uh, protecting them or do an incredible amount of work to support them to relocate. Um, but in saying that, we are uh, consenting more and more and more houses in New Brighton uh, alone. Um, and I think it's interesting because this will compound the housing crisis when we have to inevitably move uh, many, many people. I don't quite understand how the council makes some of these decisions. The, the, council, the people at council that I work with are fantastic. They're not the ones that get to make the final decisions. So yeah, there, there are lots of different options that we can... This doesn't necessarily mean that we have to leave it, uh, but it might mean that, we, that these are all um, beach houses or houses that are designed so it doesn't matter if they flood every so often. But it means that we have to slightly rethink um, our sort of model of uh, how we're living out there. Um, one option that's been proposed is that uh, the state buys the houses and then leases them back to the owners. Um, so basically to take the... Which, which absorbs the risk from the individual owners. And that's a... Um, model that's being explored in the US uh, in California um, it's called a it's like a buyback or lease um, so I guess transitioning from freehold to leasehold um, and it does mean that when the property ends up being un, uninhabitable then the transition is, is a bit easier um, of course, it's challenging in New Zealand because if you don't own a property, you're essentially a second, you're in a different class. Uh, so I think part of that we'd have to rethink our, our property taxes and our approach to... So again, it comes into this sort of wider issue. One of the approaches to risk management is to just um, transfer the risk. And so if we transfer it to the government... Uh, but that's what um, the Climate Change Adaptation Act should be, is expected to address, although the Minister for Climate Change has remained very, very tight-lipped about what it will look like. Um, although he's doing, and he doesn't expect to pass that legislation until the next term of government. So at the time when they said that, I think they were being very optimistic that they were going to get a third term. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's really important that whoever comes in next is still working on uh, those issues. Um, what the UK has done is said, if you've bought a, co a property that's exposed to flooding before 2019, we will support you, we will buy you out. If you've bought it after 2019, you did so, quote, with your eyes open, you're on your own. There's potential that the... That the uh, that New Zealand might take a similar approach because they've followed a lot of the UK's legislation, but I don't know what the cutoff for eyes being open and eyes closed are because I think a lot of residents uh, and property buyers have no idea about the risk, certainly not to that extent. Um, so I think, like, I'm relatively... Uh, Hope, you'd hope relatively like yeah, well I was going to say I understand risk relatively well but I bought a house for the first time a year ago and yeah well like uh, by the time you got through all of the bull, yeah. all of the nonsense yeah. and then you get the limb and it's just another huge document to read through and then you read that it's we're on TC2 land or whatever it is and that the foundations are okay but you wish they were better. <laughs> Just... So, anyway, uh, our objective really is to uh, 
to support planners in, in thinking about these issues and try and get this consideration to be part of all of the decisions that council is making, not just uh, about who's moving, but interventions, long-term spatial planning, asset management and renewals and maintenance. Um, there, there's been talk about creating a... Um, a fund, an adaptation fund, where every year we put some money into it. Um, I don't think that'll fly, especially with our. If our um, well, it's a great idea from from a young people, a young person's perspective. Um, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how the next councillor perceives this and what the makeup of that council is. Um, so, um, I guess one of the um, key things that I wanted to end on was a, um, a comment made, um, one of my favourite research articles uh, was talking about the dangers of disaster-driven response uh, to climate change. And um, this professor, uh, Sarah Anderson, talks about salience, which is the uh, act of being noticeable. For example, acute events like floods or wildfires, which until recently climate change was not. Um, and her key point was the risk of disaster can motivate planning. So occurrence leads to action. But what she really said that I love is that events that raise the salience of risk make people and governments more likely to pay attention to the risk, act on it, and demand action regardless of whether such actions actually help. And this is one of our biggest challenges, especially now that we're seeing these impacts, is that communities are going to start demanding action regardless of whether it actually helps because they perceive that it will. Uh, and politicians such as our, the leader of Australia uh, in response to wildfires has shown... Uh, great ability to make it sound like he's doing things when actually they're not helping. Uh, and so there are some instances uh, where our responses can be either inefficient or simply maladaptive. And maladaptive means that it'll not only not help, it'll make it worse. And there are some instances uh, where levees or seawalls that are designed in the wrong way with the wrong understanding from the community will make it worse for us. Uh, the same with suppressing wildfires, the same with uh, simply saying, well, to deal with floods, we're just going to stockpile sandbags. Essentially what these actions don't do is get to the real root of the challenge. And I think one of the hard conversations that we're going to have to have in New Zealand is we can't afford to build, uh, we're, we're far too far behind the Dutch, we can't afford to build uh, levees around the entire coast, and we're going to have to have some really hard conversations with a lot of, a lot of places. In saying that, we are going to have to build levees around places that we have to protect because of a huge amount of existing um, uh, investment in infrastructure and uh, the criticality of that. So I've got two other slides. The last is to say our challenges are around insurance and equity. A lot of our response to climate change is being driven by the Insurance Council. I don't know if that's exactly the... Uh, which is good that someone is driving the response, but maybe not the, uh, the most holistic of thinkers. Um, we're taking an ad hoc response versus an early share and idea, uh, even though, as you say, the term share and idea is uh, probably met with shudders from many Christchurch residents. Um, but we're going to have to retreat lots of places. An ad hoc retreat will be really bad. A managed or intelligent retreat that we can leverage to uh, attain other sustainability, livability, broader well-being goals better if we can figure out how to do it and get the political will to do it. 
continued development where we say we're going to stop developing here, we're going to open up the entire Canterbury Plains is not the answer uh, because it will exacerbate these issues. And we need to avoid tech-fix distractions where we can say we're not going to change our lifestyle, we're just going to buy this new fancy electric car and all of our problems are solved. Uh, so one of the key things that I ask you guys to do uh, is I realise that there are challenges, I realise that uh, there is bad faith or bad feeling about engaging, but when we go out to, um, with the council, when they start doing consulta- uh, consultation around the work that we're doing, around the different interventions, we need people that, that care and that understand the issues and understand how it all connects together. We need those people to be submitting. You've been listening to Dr. Tom Logan from the University of Canterbury speaking about climate change in Christchurch, part of the Scientific Snippet series at the Canterbury Workers' Education Association.